You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hurricane Reaper, the big IoT botnet, remains a digital tropical depression, but plenty of people are warning everyone to stock up on the cyber equivalents of flashlight batteries and bottled water. Czech Parliament sites are hacked in apparent election-related mischief, Kenya's contentious revote approaches, APT28 gets a Bronx cheer for lame Sycon fishing, but don't get cocky, kid, No Before and Cisco announce acquisitions, Kaspersky seeks to undo reputational damage inflicted by U.S. government bans. The FBI re-engages in the crypto wars. And if you had a nose job at London Bridge Plastic Surgery, somebody's got your before and after picks. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, October 24th, 2017. People are still waiting for the Reaper botnet, also called IO Troop, to unleash its expected distributed denial-of-service hurricane. But so far, Hurricane Reaper remains the cyber equivalent of a just-forming tropical low-pressure system. It bears watching. Security reporter Brian Krebs, for one, thinks this is the proverbial calm before the storm. The Mirai botnet, to which Reaper is being compared, incorporated about half a million IoT devices— Reaper is thought to have accumulated at least twice that many. Its bot herding differs from Mirai's. Where Mirai relied on exploiting default or hard-coded passwords, Reaper uses at least nine known vulnerabilities present in products of more than ten device manufacturers. Brief denial-of-service attacks interrupted vote counting in Czech parliamentary elections as the government had to take down two sites temporarily, but effects seem transitory and of little consequence. It's unknown who was responsible. The campaign has been a contentious one with a, stop us if you've heard this one, wealthy populist emerging as the surprise winner. Kenya is undergoing a troubled election this week, actually a court-ordered do-over prompted by findings of widespread and serious electronic voting fraud when the presidential election was held earlier this summer. Kenya's Supreme Court overturned incumbent President Uhuru Kenyatta's August 8th re-election in a decision handed down on September 1st. With voting now just two days off, it's not even clear if the opposition candidate will be standing for election this time around. Observers fear the possibility of civil unrest, whatever the outcome turns out to be. APT-28, also known as Fancy Bear, also known as Russia's GRU, is getting razzed for its attempts to fish attendees at the upcoming SciCon conference on cyber conflict, to be held November 7th and 8th in Washington, D.C. Oh, you silly APT-28, show some respect, is Bleeping Computer's admonition to the Russian hackers, who fished for people likely to attend the upcoming SciCon conference. Apparently, few have taken the bait. 
we get the joke, but before we're willing to second APT28's nomination for a pony award, we'll wait and see. Kids swallow the darndest fish bait. Anyway, we know for sure, we're pretty sure anyway, that we didn't take the bait, even though we'll be attending. On the other hand, we think APT28 didn't bother sending us a baited document, and we're glad of that, because, you know, we'll kids swallow the darndest fish bait. Kaspersky's offer to subject its source code to independent public review is about as much as the security firm can do to recoup reputational damage sustained from a U.S. government ban. Observers are skeptical that this will work. A code audit wouldn't preclude compromise by or collaboration with intelligence services, and those are the fundamental concerns that customers have. We've had plenty of examples this year of vulnerabilities in industrial control systems and the industrial Internet of Things. The folks at CyberX released a new report today called the Global ICS and IIoT Risk Report. Phil Naray is VP of Industrial Cybersecurity at CyberX, and he gives us an overview of the report. We know that experts have been telling us for years that these uh, industrial networks are vulnerable. Um, and a lot of that is due to the fact that they were designed many years ago, that the protocols and devices that, that are using are insecure by design. Uh, they were designed at a time when the focus was more on performance and reliability than security. And so they don't have a lot of things that we take for granted in IT networks like strong authentication. And a lot of these uh, opinions are, you know, based on anecdotal evidence, uh, the, the, lots of experience looking at these networks and seeing how insecure they are. So we thought it was important to have more of a data-driven discussion about the risk and to objectively evaluate that risk and then talk about what we could do about it short of a massive upgrade to all of these networks. And so uh, this approach uh, involved actually going out and gathering a good bit of data. Yeah, we took network traffic data from real-world industrial networks worldwide. Over the past 18 months, we analyzed data from 375 industrial control networks uh, across all sectors, energy, oil and gas, manufacturing, pharma, chemicals. And we used some algorithms that we've developed that are in the general category of network traffic analysis, NTA, which are specialized algorithms we've developed that by inspecting the network traffic can uh, highlight vulnerabilities such as connections to the public internet, what types of operating systems are running on the devices, what types of PLCs uh, are installed in the network. And using that analysis, we came up with some data points that are pretty eye-opening, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree. Well, why don't you take us through some of the uh, key findings in the report? Sometimes these networks are described as being hard on the outside and soft on the inside, like M&M candies. And we found that they're definitely soft on the inside, but they're actually not that hard on the outside either. And there's this myth of the air gap that uh, because these networks are separated from the internet or from corporate IT networks and air gapped from them, uh, we don't have to worry too much about patching or monitoring. And what we found was that nearly a third of these networks uh, are actually connected to the public internet. So that was the first big one. The second big one is that um, these networks have a lot of legacy Windows machines in them. We found that three out of four of these sites have legacy Windows machines like Windows XP or Windows 2000, which means they're not getting security patches from Microsoft anymore. 
Um, so even if you wanted to patch them, which is a difficult process in, in OT environments, you can't. Uh, and if you wanted to upgrade all of them, that's a big task because they're running all kinds of SCADA applications that might be tied to a particular version of Windows. And so that would be a pretty massive upgrade. But what that means is once an attacker gets in the network, it's pretty easy for them to deploy common malware to those devices, to those Windows boxes, uh, including sort of newer malware like WannaCry and NotPetya, but even the older stuff like Configure uh, could be running on these machines just because they can't get those patches. So, uh, obviously, you know, sobering information, lots of interesting data, sort of translate it for us. So what does this mean in the real world? How bad is it? Well, I think it's, it's a wake-up call. Um, I think it's a wake-up call for management teams. Now, the, you know, the, the people who are running uh, industrial security in these organizations, they know, they know that, that their networks are vulnerable. I think the biggest challenge is raising awareness with management teams and boards of directors that this is a, an issue that really needs to be addressed uh, from a top-down point of view, kind of in the same way IT woke up to that fact you know, 10 years ago or so. Anything you can do from a top-down point of view to encourage people to work together, because look, if, uh, if malware or targeted attack, attack shuts down the plant uh, and your main production line that's generating the revenue for your company, everyone's going to suffer. Uh, you know, the growth of your company is going to suffer. People's careers are going to be, you know, slowed down. There's going to be a decline in stock price. So really, it's everyone's uh, job to uh, protect the OT network. And so getting these guys to talk to each other, to understand each other, maybe assigning an OT person to go work in your corporate SOC to learn a bit about security, or taking an IT security people from your CISO team and assigning them to the uh, operational side of the business to learn a bit about how these OT networks work. And those are all good things to do to break down the barriers between IT and OT. That's Phil Nuray from CyberX. The report is Global ICS and IIoT Risk Report. There's a lot more to it than we had time to cover here, so you can check out the complete report on the CyberX website. In other industry news, security training shop Before has announced that it's buying Securable.io. Before expects the acquisition to provide the security awareness training shop with the ability to tailor training to an individual's observed behaviors. Cisco has also made an acquisition, a big one, buying Broadsoft for $1.71 billion. Broadsoft's products are widely used in the telecommunications industry, and the pickup is expected to bolster Cisco's collaboration offerings and further diversify the company from its core switching and routing products. The deal surprised many analysts, who now speculate that Cisco may make a major push to buy a rival. The U.S. FBI re-engages in the crypto wars, still on the anti-encryption side. Director Ray says he gets that there's a balance to be struck, but he calls unbreakable encryption a huge, huge problem. The Bureau has been unable to break into some 7,000 devices it tried to access over the past year in the course of investigations. Finally, a plastic surgery practice in the UK has been breached, and of course the question everyone wants answered, that is everyone who reads celebrity gossip sheet E! Online, is this. Was the royal family involved? Was there information among those compromised in the hack of London Bridge plastic surgery? 
The aesthetic surgeons to the stars describe themselves as horrified and say that, of course, the attack was the work of a sophisticated group well-known for hitting medical practices in the U.S. Police are investigating. Apparently, photos are involved. Photos usually are. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the Senior Director of Engineering and Cybersecurity at WebRoot. Dave, welcome back. Um, over there at WebRoot, you publish a report. It's called your Quarterly Threat Trends. And uh, you guys are seeing some interesting stuff when it comes to phishing. Um, yes. Uh, thank you for having me back, David. And, and phishing, I, I think to probably no one's surprise, continues to be um, a really huge attack vector for everyone in the in the cybersecurity industry. I, I may have said this story before, but it is one of my favorite stories of all time, how in 1988, I had joined the Air Force and we were uh, taught that social engineering was the number one way that the bad guys were going to try to get into a computer system by phoning you or acting like they were maintenance people or, or trying to some way get your username and password from you. That, again, that was 1988, not to date myself. Here we are in, in 2017 with, with phishing, and that is still, ironically, social engineering is the number one way of, of getting access to someone's information, their accounts, and things of that nature. So 29 years hasn't changed. Yeah. What are some of the stats that you all have been seeing? You know, throw some numbers, hard numbers at you. We're seeing about 46,000 new phishing sites created every day, 46,000. And so what's happening here is uh, folks are able to automate the infiltration of unpatched web servers, things of that nature. And then they're propagating across those web servers with prepackaged, typically phishing tools that you can buy uh, at places like Alpha Bay's, you know, out of business. But, uh, you know, websites like that 
you buy these prepackaged phishing sites that you can just automate the deployment of those if you've been able to hack servers. So we're seeing massive, massive numbers. And these packages typically are geared towards um, attacking or phishing information from financial institutions or technology companies. So they're the two main categories we're seeing where these packages or, or folks are trying to phish um, information from people to gain access to those environments. So they're trying to get access to people's banking information? Yes. So banking information would be banking, financial, your stocks, things like that. That's the number one thing that we see for in terms of, um, you know, people trying to steal money. Then on the other side of the fence, people are trying to get access to like your email accounts or even hack into technology companies simply because it's fun to hack into technology companies and look cool doing it. Um, so that's why we really see those two verticals as being the, the primary um, vehicles of attack. And, and so observing these things, uh, what kind of efforts are there to help to shut them down? There are lists out there um, that, that um, are provided. A lot of that is um, crowdsourced where someone sees a, a phishing site, they may have gotten it in an email, and they're going to add that to a list. Um, the, the problem with lists that we experience, and, and this is, you know, my view and, and what I'm seeing, uh, most of the phishing sites we see are only up for four to eight hours. So those 46,000 sites created every day on average are only up and running four to eight hours. So a list is not necessarily going to provide you um, accurate information about phishing sites that are up. What you've really got to do is look for solutions that can identify sites in real time as they're as you're trying to hit that site um, from a from a pure security play. What you want to do is analyze a URL as you navigate to it to ensure that uh, it is not a phishing site, that it is an in fact, a legitimate site. And obviously, you're going to need some type of software or something running on your machine to do that. Short of that, David. What you can do to protect yourself from phishing is don't click on those links that someone might send you in a social app or something, Um, you know, verify it, hover over it to make sure it looks legit. And and really, honestly, the best thing you can do is if someone sends you an email or sends you a link they want you to navigate to, type it in your browser. That's how you can be sure you're going to the site you expect to arrive at. All right. Good advice as always. David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With Identity Orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire.
And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now. Now.